Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, not much to report. It's uh, the Christmas holidays. I'm heading to the ranch for the weekend. I want to get this podcast out before I go. So before we get on with this podcast with Manuel Marinelli on Project Mania, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping you with everything you need to sew for your boat, from bimini's and boat covers to upholstery work and even sewing your own sails. Sailrite is your one-stop shop for fabric, sail and canvas kits, tools, hardware, and sewing supplies. Sailrite is also the maker of the patented Ultrafeed sewing machine, a portable heavy-duty machine that can handle all the sewing jobs for your boat and more. A passionate crew of DIYers, Sailrite produces high-quality, free how-to videos to empower their customers to turn their sewing dreams into a reality. Well, I've actually got quite a few podcasts in the can. I've got three interviews with Jack Andrews, who's getting ready to cross the Atlantic from the Canary Islands to the Caribbean. I've got two episodes from Finding Avalon, Jackson and Xanthi, and those will be coming up as well. I've got them all recorded. I just have not edited them and done the show notes and done all the other stuff that goes along with it. If you would like to support this podcast, please kick the button Become a Patreon on the website, medsailor.com. Also, I did get an email, and I, I seem to get this quite a bit, of somebody that's listened to one of my episodes, particularly when it comes to Croatia and my episodes with Andrew Vick, and they want the KMZ files. You can find the links at the website. Please do not write me if it's available at the website. Please take a look at the website before you write me and ask me for that information. <laughs> I just have to go to the website and dig out the same damn information myself. You do it. Do some work. Don't expect to be spoon-fed. But if you write me with a question or something interesting to tell me, or if you want to invite me to go sailing or invite me to speak at your club, write me directly, franz1 at medsailor.com. All right, let's get on to the interview with Manuel Marinelli on Project Mania. Okay. I'm on Skype with Manuel Marinelli. I met Manuel, oh, three years ago, two years ago. I think it was at least two years ago. When, uh, when we happened to anchor in Montenegro in, um, oh, what was the name of the town? Anyway, in Montenegro, and we met for, for, for dinner on your, was it on your boat, wasn't it? It was on your boat? We had barbecue on our boat, yeah. You had a barbecue on your boat. You told me about your project. And uh, we also had with us the, uh, oh, what's his name? Producer of, of the YouTube videos, Finding Avalon. Finding Avalon, uh, yeah. right. Yeah. Which now they've gone and... I think they're almost all the way to Australia by now. And I think that's one of the YouTube uh, channels I actually watch on a regular basis. I'm trying to get him back on the podcast again, but we haven't connected for a while since he was in Panama. But this is the first time I think I've talked to you since since we met. But later on that summer, I did see your boat, the big red boat. 
sailing north of uh, Corchula. And I tried to raise you on my phone, yeah. but I but we just passed in the day. You were heading north, and I was heading south, and we boats passing in the wind. So tell us about Project Man- Mania and what you're doing. Uh, Project Mania is basically a very small-scale NGO. Um, right now, obviously, we're working in the Mediterranean. And the last year, we actually focused on invasive species. So since the Suez Canal is open, quite a few of them stumbled their way into the Mediterranean. And it seems by now they are pretty much taking over around Greece and the Turkish coast especially. And, well, that's what we've been trying to raise a bit of a light on in the last year. So, for example, in Turkey, their fishermen say for every usable, eatable fish they catch, they catch around a thousand puffer fish by now, hmm. which is incredible numbers. Yeah. So what and are the, in, what are the invasive species? What what fish in particular are taking over the Mediterranean then? Well, there's a lot that came in already, but the two easiest ones to recognize for everyone are basically the pufferfish, which are well the ones that can blow themselves up. So I guess everybody has those in mind. And the other one is the lionfish. So very beautiful to look at, um, kind of dark brown or reddish color striped with white straw and super long spines with unfortunately poisonous sticking us on the end. Um, yeah, so those are the two big ones or the two ones that are super easy to recognize if you ever stumble across some snorkeling. You know, I just got done and, scuba diving yeah. in the Cayman Islands week before last and they're having the same problem with lionfish. Fish. They're an invasive species and they let the dive masters kill them wherever they see them, and they are, you know, they're they're taking over the Cayman Islands as well. Um, so it's it's a worldwide problem, it appears. Yeah, and the Caymans actually, I would say, two three years ahead of the Mediterranean. So over there, it's a full on epidemic by now. In in Cyprus, for example, this year they opened the hunting season on live fish. So even scuba divers are allowed to hunt them. In Greece, however, the regulations are a little different so far. And you're only allowed to hunt any fish for that matter if you're free diving. So once you get the scuba tank on, you're out of the race. But I suspect it's going to change in the next year or two. Or at least I hope so. Yeah, we actually witnessed, which was the first time the di- I, when I was with him last week, the a a grouper attack and eat a lionfish, which he said, I've never seen that happen before, which was uh, learned behavior because they've never seen them until just, you know, just, I don't know how long they've been there, but not that long. So that was a good sign as far as they were concerned. I'm looking at your track. I'm on your website and the prod, the website is www.projectmania, P-R-O-J-E-C-T-M-A-N-A-I-A.A-T. I guess AT is for Austria. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So I'm on your website, and I think this is the route you did last year. You had a lot of traveling. You went all the way down to Crete and did the southern coast of Crete, and then came up and did the Peloponnese, and you went up to Athens, went down. So talk talk to us about your adventures last summer. Oh, it was a good summer altogether. Um, well, we started in the northern Adriatic, 
which is where we left the boat last, well, the, the winter before in, uh, what was it called? Well, near Lignano in Aprile Maritima was the name. And at the beginning of the season, we actually had six, seven other marine biologists on board who were keeping eyes out for mostly dolphins, but also with the hope of finding whales. Mm-hmm. So it was actually the first ever continuous transect across the entire Adriatic and then continuing through the Ionian Sea and down to the Aegean Sea. Never been done before and we did it on a tiny budget, so to speak. And we actually saw dolphins almost every day, which was a quite pleasant surprise. So that was absolutely stunning. Took us a good six weeks. And then, oh, we had one or two unfortunate encounters. Then Albania, we actually got rammed by a fishing trawler in the middle of the night. I was, well, not the, the highlight of the trip, I would say. Uh, yeah, but we also never managed to track the guy down. He actually made a hit and run with us. So what happened? Talk to us about that. Let Yeah, go into detail on that, because that's something people would want to learn. What happened? Where were you? And uh, how did it develop? So what happened is we sailed out of Bar in Montenegro. And we were in an overnight transit past Albania. Okay, hold on, hold on. Heading straight to Corfu. You broke up there. And around. You broke up a little bit there, so let's start that over again. You sailed out of where? We sailed out of Bar. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Last port in Montenegro. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And we're aiming south for... Uh, Corfu, basically. So we were planning to just do the entire side of Albania through the night. And around 11 o'clock at night, it was, we were well closing in on the Flore area. It's about halfway between Duris and Flore. And there was a fishing trawler who was kind of pasting maybe 200 meters off our side for an hour at that time. And at some point, he just kicked the engine full speed, turned 90 degrees and aimed straight for us. So the only thing that was really left to do since we were under full sails was to turn as fast as we could and he still took us side on. Which luckily we are sitting on a steel boat. So we basically had a big bump in the side, just a bit of bent steel really. But we also snapped two of our shrouds. So we were close to losing our main mast and had to drop all the sails instantly and then called him up on VHF right away. And the moment he realized that we are actually trying to call him and trying to get his name out of him, he just made a run for it, turned away and went full speed towards land. So where was this at? Was this, because uh, I'm looking at your route that went from bar straight down and you were quite a ways off the coast. You yeah. weren't even close to, uh, well, it looks to me like you were at least... 15 to 20 miles off the coast. and uh, was, Yeah, a good 20 miles. Yeah. And was this around Duress or near Vlor? Where was it at? So if, you, if you're looking at the route, there's one blue dot just north of Vlore. Right. So I put that right on the spot where, we hit, where he hit us. Wow. So there was one. So what did you do? How 29 did... UTC on the 20th. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 20th of April, 129, um, yeah. Well, what we did was, 
we check the AIS right away, because both stat size usually have AIS, and he smartly switched it off, so we couldn't track him. But the guy who was in convoy with us, the sailing catamaran that was maybe half a mile behind us, he said, that's weird. He saw the boat like five minutes ago on his AIS. Of course, didn't write down the number. At that point, nothing yet. Well, ultimately, we ended up in the sails and motoring down to Corfu, which is what we did. So did you have repairs done in Corfu then? Well, we repaired all the rigging. So we replaced the shrouds that were snapped. We fixed our spread that was broken off. So all that was done in Corfu. It was the week before the big Easter holidays in Greece. So not a lot was possible at that point. And luckily at that time, I had good friends who were in Preveza on their boat, sailing Tiki, if you ever curious to look those guys up and one of them is a weld and we had the welding machine and we had some spare steel on the boat so we sailed to them and cut out the old piece welded in some new plates put all the primer that we had over the whole patch and then we kept going so ultimately we only lost i think three days on that whole mission well that's pretty amazing that's the nice thing about having and a steel actually boat. We, yeah yeah absolutely stunning <laughs> one of the big pluses we did quite a few videos about the whole event on YouTube as well. Oh, you did? So you have a YouTube channel. So tell us about your YouTube channel. If you go to youtube.com slash projectmanaya, you will actually find all the videos starting years ago in Myanmar and ending well this year in Athens, basically. So how do you fund yourself? Oh, that's one of the biggies. Um, well, during the season, we do these video updates every week, and they go out on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Not sure if you're familiar with that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so basically we do these video updates for people who support us with however small the donation might be on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. And that's one of our income streams, even though at this point it's a rather small one. And the rest of all these expeditions is basically funded by me working my butt off during the winter time. <laughs> what do you do in the winter that where you gain money for your projects then? You wouldn't believe it if I told you. Well, um, tell us. Up until up until last year I was the boatswain on the Rainbow Warrior for Greenpeace. Oh, okay. Okay. Is that where you got your yeah, idea to, to do your own small NGO? Yeah, that's where the idea was born ultimately is so many times we were working with small NGOs wanting to do, for example, microplastic sampling. And to do that, you tow a 30 centimeter net and you really don't need a 60 meter ship for that. You could easily do it off a rowboat if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. So basically I figured why not scale it down a little and support all sorts of NGOs with whatever projects they want to run and give them a working platform with all the means they need and, do it on a budget as small as possible since well, NGOs are somewhat notorious for being tight on money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So were yeah, you doing so, way, so were you doing this last year? What projects did you work on last year? Uh, in the Mediterranean or with Greenpeace? Oh no, just in Mediterranean. I'm not, okay, now we know what you do on the off season. So you work in the off season in the winter on the Greenpeace boats. Are they 
are they in the warmer climates during that period of time? Or are you in the Mediterranean? Uh, usually I got lucky. I managed to sneak away from winter for the last five, six years, I think, by now. Okay, okay. So, pretty well. Yeah, but in the Mediterranean last year, basically the focus was on oh, exactly the invasive species. So we tried to track down how many they are, how far they got. And one of the bases there was in the South Crete, which is the main reason to go there. It's not a particularly nice sailing ground. So if you ever want to go sailing around Crete, do it on the north coast. The south is a horrible spot. Well, I went to Crete one time, and, and I probably don't ever plan on going back again, just because even on the north side, it's not that great for sailing. I mean, you have the exposed, you're exposed to the Maltimis all the time. There's there's not that many great anchorages. And uh, yeah. And then, then to go anywhere else, it's just a beat into the wind. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't plan on going back to Crete. If I go back to Crete, it'll be on a ferry that I can just get on and get off so I don't have to sail. I can't blame you. Yeah, so the south coast, we had up to 80 knots of wind this summer. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of outrageous. But the interesting thing is that the first sighting of the lionfish in Greece was on Crete. And that was just two years ago. Okay, so. so it's fairly it's fairly new then. So they they came up from the Red Sea. They've been working their way up, and uh, and so where did you first detect them as you came down the Adriatic? Um, this year we first saw them in Corfu. Oh, okay. So they've worked their way that far north then. Yeah. So that's uh, not the most sighted that I did in person but this year we actually did a very smart thing and asked dive centers and uh, well, regular divers and also sailors to submit their sightings which you can actually do on our website mm-hmm. and we got sightings as far up as northern Croatia so, the so it's already gone most... it's already gone through the uh, the Adriatic all the way to the top then huh that's what it would seem like yeah I mean, Albania is kind of a black hole because you're not allowed to go diving there. So nobody really going on. But in Montenegro, we got a few now. In Croatia, a couple on the islands and well, two sightings in Rovin, which is, well, I would say not a good sign. And in Crete, trend is massively increasing. So where two years ago we had had two sightings last year it was up to 15 in a single dive and by the end of this season there was not a single dive with less than 40 lionfish so which is a a, a worse invasive species the puffer fish or the lionfish <laughs> i would say for the divers the lionfish because usually divers like to hang around the big rocks and interesting structures for the fishermen, definitely the pufferfish. They usually drop their nets in, let's say, seagrass or just random sand areas. And in those, pufferfish is definitely much more abundant. In this, I went out with the fishermen in Plakias and with a three-kilometer, like one-meter-high net, we would just sit on the bottom for half a day. We pulled it out in the night. We had about a bucket worth eatable fish and a good 300 pufferfish. And some of them were a good half meter long, so 
the, the amount was just crazy. Plus they eat all the other fish. So that doesn't really resonate well for the fishermen either. No, no. And your plans for next year? I see your boat's on a Gina. Is that where you left it this year? Yeah. We found a nice dry dock on the north coast of Agina. Beautiful spot, by the way. You know, I went by that boatyard years ago, and it was nowhere near as big as it looks like it is right now. I'm zooming in on, on your website and zooming in where okay. you left the boat. And uh, so they've expanded that. Before I went by there, it was just on one side of that road, and now it looks like they've taken over some of the olive groves on the other side of the road and started putting boats in there. So... And and they've got, it looks like they've got a travel lift there too now, where before it was just a a rail that I think they pulled them out on. I know, but now there's, I think, four or five boat yachts there and at least three travel lifts that they shift around. Mm -hmm. And it's quite a sensation to see a boat cross the street there. (laughs) What's the, what was the, uh, now did you compare the price to Provisa and other places? How was the price on on wintering your boat there? Uh, the prices were roughly the same as the cheaper yachts in Preveza. But for me, one of the key selling points of the Igina boat yachts is that it's super easy to reach because it's a 20-minute ferry ride from Athens. And prices are less than a third from the dry yachts in Athens. So really quite a good trade-off, I think. Plus, you still have shops and everything available. So that's quite convenient. Well, that's good. So there's a Canoas Boatyard and Planico yard, Yacht Yard there, it looks like. And then there's As- yeah. Asprakis Boatyard. There's three of them right there next together. Which one did you go with? We are in Canonis Boatyard. Okay. Really nice guys. Family-run business and excellent reputation. Super helpful. Now, very fair prices. Okay, so now the only thing I see about this boatyard is it's on the north of the island, so you got to not have a Meltimi blowing when you're going in there. Is that right? It, and that's, that's the only thing. So when we came in, it was actually blowing a bit, say 15, 20 knots, so not too bad at all. But the, the little niche that you have to catch and back your boat into is maybe five meters wide, and we have... A, long keel boat so reversing into something like that is always a nightmare and with about a meter waves coming sort of yeah forward beam on doesn't make it necessarily super easy but it all worked out the guys were super helpful so all went fine all right well that may be a possibility because i'm trying to plan out my next summer and i'm up um i'm up in mont falcone in northern Adriatic right now, and I'm going to be planning on taking my boat back to Greece. I was thinking of leaving it at Previsa, but maybe I want to go through the canal again and go into the Aegean. That's just a possibility. It just depends on um, you know the, where the best prices are. That's what I'm always looking for because I'm not I'm not looking for a swimming pool or amenities. I'm just looking for a place to store my boat for the winter. So, yeah. Well, then this one is a bad one. Yeah, it's good. And uh, yeah, you're right. So you just catch a ferry over from Athens or from Piraeus then to come over and then catch a cab up to the boatyard. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what we did. And there's, I think, 20 ferries a day. 
Yeah, there's a lot going back and forth every summer. I haven't taken my boat to Agena because it's so popular. You know, except I mean, initially I did a long time ago, but I haven't been back to Agena for many years because it's such a such a popular weekend spot for all the Athenians. Oh, that for sure. Yeah. So if you want to hang around the app, anchoring is the only way to go. Yeah. Yeah. So this year you're going to pick your boat up in Agena, and what projects do you have lined up, or do you have any lined up right now? Oh, we do, and we got a really nice one. Oh, tell us about uh, it. Um, yeah. So because ultimately I believe for the invasive species, the only way to sort of keep them in trim is to make sure that the local fish stocks are somewhat healthy so they can bounce back the invaders. So for all those local fish, basically the seagrass is the baseline. Every single fish that lives in the Mediterranean spends part of his life in seagrass meadows. And right now they are on a massive decline throughout the Mediterranean. So if you sailed up the northern Adriatic from around middle of Croatia on, you won't find any. And there's one nice project in... Uh, Lipsy in the Aegean Sea, but they actually replant Posidonia meadows, so they grow seagrass again. So we're going to go visit these guys for about a month and learn how they do it exactly. And then with that knowledge in hand, we will start from Lipsy, go through the Aegean Sea, around the southern coast of the Peloponnesus, and slowly work our way up into the northern Adriatic again and spread the knowledge, work with a couple of NGOs with a bunch of dive centers along the way and start replanting seagrass meadows everywhere. How fast do they grow? Uh, Height-wise, pretty fast. They can actually do like half a meter in a month if they have to. The trouble is that when it comes to spreading to the sides, it takes years. So we're talking two to five centimeters a year that they can spread, well, in a horizontal direction. So once a meadow is gone, it takes a long time for it to regrow. And how do you plant? Is it, uh, see- I mean, you know, I know how you plant grass, it's seeds, but how would you plant seagrass? Do you know, or you, is that what you plan on learning? Uh, I got the rough outlines of it. So the idea is that you find basically leaves with roots that have been ripped out in rough weather or around anchorages. You can, if you go for a walk on the beach, you will always find a few bundles of seagrass that are washed up on shore. So basically it means get up early in the morning every day, collect all those little bits and pieces, and then put them in a frame, which in the case studies that are read through this frame is made of biodegradable plastic, so not really plastic, but something biodegradable. And put them into this frame, and that again gets anchored into the sand with a big steel nail. So that way they can't drift away, and it gives them about three months' time to grow their roots into the ground. And by that time, the frame disintegrates, and seagrass can well, continue growing. Ultimately, you would be putting it back into the ground a square meter at a time. But if you have people in each location that take care of the meadow and who keep planting more and more, it will eventually bounce back. Okay. 
Well, that, that sounds like a great project. And so you've got the funding for it. And so you've got a full summer planned out then. Well, the summer is definitely planned out. The funding is something I'm working on right now. So applying funds and obviously going back to work again to earn some money. Also trying to find some other people who are willing and able to work with us and who can help out with grant writing and fundraising as well. So it's all in process and it's definitely going to happen. The question at this point is just how big we can scale it with the funds that we have. So you're going to be working your way north back up through the Adriatic then again this year then? Yeah, so... We should meet somewhere in Montenegro, I guess. Yeah, we'll pass. We'll, we, our paths will cross again. There's no question about it. We'll just have to figure out about where. My my summer plans are I'm going to be heading over around the middle of uh, May and sailing May and June and coming back about the middle of July. So that's sort of my plans for next summer. Rough plans right uh, now. So. Well, we will start sailing in May as mm-hmm. well and want to end up in the northern Adriatic by the end of October. So yeah, you plenty got a, of time. Yeah, you got a full summer. <laughs> You've got a full summer. And, and uh, if I end up going through the Corinth Canal, then it's easy to get over to, to, to that, that whole area over there, Lipsy and Liros and that area. But I'm not sure if I will. I'm still debating on whether I go to Previsa and, and winter my boat in Previsa or whether I go through the Corinth Canal again. But uh, good. Well, it's uh, it's great to talk to you. Um, let's keep in touch. And again, let anybody know how they can get a hold of you if they want to participate in your project. It's easy enough. If you look up Project Manaya, either directly on the website, which is www.projectmanaya.at, or simply punch it into Google and you will find our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, and on the end of each social media channel is me. All right. You're the one that handles everything then, huh? Uh, it would appear so at the moment. <laughs> but, yeah. but also, if you happen to stumble across a millionaire who wants to help out and grow some seagrass, feel free to send him my way. Okay. All right. If I run across any of them, I'll, let them, I'll, I'll send them your way then. All right. Manuel, thanks so much. It's been a long time. We've tried to connect, but uh, we finally did it today. And uh, when are you heading off to, to go work? You're on sort of on a vacation right now because I caught you at home. Yeah, I wouldn't really call it vacation. I'm working on the website right now and doing all the social media stuff and updating several outreach channels, also writing the proposals. So a lot happening in the background. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. But... Uh, but you're in one. You're in a set. You're not moving. Your your a boat is not moving right now. That's sort of what I what I meant. Yeah. That yes. No movement. But actually, feels a bit weird. <laughs> All right. Well, keep in touch. I will put links to everything in the show notes. Yeah. Let's just keep in touch for next summer. We'll meet up and maybe do a podcast on the water. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. All right. Take care. Thanks, Manuel. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. 
so make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.